Hello, this is Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Purdue. All right, this is episode three, and um, today what I want to talk about is one of the most obvious keys to success when it comes to any type of motivation or um, change. So one of the big things about change is that it's something about your life, your lifestyle has to um, not only disappear, but something else has to take its place. So if I was eating Twinkies, now I need to eat something healthy. Um, that means that I can't just do it once. I've got to do it on a continual basis. So you would say that in your mind, success equals discipline. And if I can be disciplined, then I can be successful. Well, again, that's 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 kind of true. But it's kind of like saying that, you know, if I can just flap my hands fast enough, I'll, I can fly, right? Or if I just keep swimming, I can cross the Atlantic. Those are, the, okay, maybe the second one makes a little more sense than the first one. <laughs> but the point is, is that it, the, the problem with discipline is that you have to be disciplined to be disciplined. And so it's almost like redundancy in effect. And if I, if I say I need to be disciplined, if I need to be more disciplined, then I'm proclaiming that I'm actually not. And so I need to be something that I'm not. So I've either got to pretend or lie or even more painfully, I need to try really, really, really hard every day for the rest of my life. So you can see in essence why any type of concept of discipline being the answer to a lifestyle change, um, that's just an, an aberration. You can't, you can't even bring discipline into the, the, into the whole pantheon. I mean, you could be disciplined to plan, but discipline to follow through with your plan, that's completely different. And that's the, and that's the point. Um, it's like when I would tell the, the people, the new members at the, at the gym, I would say, um, you know, if you, have meant to come to the gym two times in a row and you didn't, you're, you think I just need to be more disciplined or I need to get my lazy butt off the couch. Right. But I know you shot yourself. I know that it's already over because you can only be disciplined so many times. And it's usually in the, in the, in the single digits. Let me put it that way. It's not all, it's not a long time. Now you can use painful motivation to, stir up your discipline every now and then. But the problem with that pain is that pain on top of pain doesn't really solve anything. So in the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, it's a bestseller probably 10 years ago, maybe. And um, it's actually a fascinating book. But one of the key things that he talks about is that a habit is a loop. And it starts with a cue or a trigger and that's something that happens that causes you to fulfill a routine. And that would be the habit. And then it, in, at the end of the habit, you get some type of a reward or in the midst of the habit, you get a reward that, you're, that your brain likes. And that's why it becomes a loop. And so whenever 
something becomes habitual, it's usually because there are repetitive cues throughout the day or at one key time during the day. So for example, they use smoking as a, as an example of something that's terribly addictive because it's got such an embedded habit loop. So when people smoke, uh, you know, smoking a cigarette, I don't exactly know. I'm sure that it's different for different people, but you know, it's probably two minutes, I guess, to smoke a cigarette. Well, that's not a long time, especially uh, through the course of the day. And so you could end up smoking multiple cigarettes throughout the day. And I think maybe 20 or 12, I guess it's, I don't even know. I'm from North Carolina. I don't know how many cigarettes are in a pack. I'm going to guess that it's between 12 and 20. <laughs> so anyway, point is, is that you, um, you can go through a pack of cigarettes a day. No, no problem. And, and the, and why it's so addictive is not necessarily because nicotine is the most addictive substance in the world. It's the fact that there are so many cues throughout the day. So the times that I'm triggered to want to smoke are when I get up in the morning, after I eat, after I have a snack or eat, when I have coffee, during a break at work, um, when I get in the vehicle, which is, you know, great for everyone else, um, after I, after, oh wait, let's say, um, after I get home and also whenever I do some kind of a chore or after I do some type of a chore. So basically you have this habit that's attached to a bunch of other things that you have to repetitively do every single day. And therefore you get these cues that go on and on and on. And so what we found, what we find is, is that there's, um, there's an, an anxiety loop that begins once you get a trigger and it builds and ramps and ramps and ramps until you follow through with the routine and then you get the, the small reward. Well, the, the issue with um, drug addictions is not necessarily that you get such a, a, a pleasurable kickback, like your reward being some immense high where you're like in outer space, you, you feel so, so good. I, I guess maybe some types of you know, cocaine or heroin or something can give you that sense, but it's not necessarily that it, it lasts for, you know, six hours and, and you just can't wait to get that sex six hour high. Um, the issue is that you're in constant chronic anxiety until you do. And it's almost like you're compelled to, to do it in a, in a very painful or uncomfortable way. And so, that the the problem with that is that it, the same addictions can happen in food um, or even just you know like biting your nails or something because if you look at the you would say the success it's not difficult to achieve a goal let's say I, if I need to lose thirty pounds it's that's not necessarily that difficult the issue is is that can I lose thirty pounds and then keep it off that's the real issue so. You might say that what are the um, long-term success rates of heroin and nicotine? Well, they're they're pretty low. They're single digits. They're maybe five to seven percent. Well, if you look at the long-term success of people who lose weight, you know, over like a 25, 30 pound uh, amount, they're the same. In two years, you look back and you say, are you still clean? Are you back? Are you back on you know drinking the, the booze? Well, it's five to seven percent are the only ones that are not. It's ninety-five percent are. And if you look at the people who lost this weight, 
are you still at that weight or better after two years? It's really only five to seven percent that are. So what we're looking at is this from a not a physical or chemical dependency upon the drug as much as it is um, a dependency upon relieving the um, the stress. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, if you after you have an expectation of something that you want or a reward, let's say, and you don't get it, how does that make you feel? Oh, let's look at if you have a kid, right? And the and the parents promise them, hey, you know, if you go out and help with the chores, then you you can have an ice cream. And then they're like, oh, sorry, no, you can't. Well, that's like, um, you know, they'll they'll. You just lied and they wanted this thing. They expected it. Well, what if it's not a lie? You just said you can have an ice cream if you go out and you rake the leaves. So they're like, okay. And they run out and they rake the leaves. They come back in and you're like, oh, man, we're out of ice cream. And the, and the, they immediately start screaming and crying because it's traumatic. Imagine if you did something like, hey, kids, um, we're going to go to Disneyland or Disney World this year. And we're going to leave. And this is their date for a vacation. And then when it comes time, you're like, um, oh, actually, you know, we're going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to go see your Aunt Susie. And you, the kids don't even like Aunt Susie. <laughs> so you got a real problem on your hands. You, this, the, the kids will never get over it. It's This will go into their adulthood and it will be a trauma that they'll have to uh, see a, a psychologist about that's and we all know that it's true when you have an expectation of a reward and you do not get it then it's 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 painful and so we're looking at this this um habit loop as a small version of you have a promise of a reward and you don't get it so that's that's the that's the problem with staying off of of a habit or a drug or whatever is because once you get triggered, then you have an expectation. And then if you deny the reward, then it's traumatic on a micro level, let's say. But guess what? If I'm addicted to food or cigarettes, then I get I it's every single day and it's multiple times a day where I'm like, oh man, I expected to be able to um you know have a my cheap cheese, eggs, and coffee every morning or I expected uh, to have um, in and out burger or, you know, my soda after I drink, you know, have when I have my dinner. And, um, and, and those are real things. And so what we need to do is figure out how can we sabotage this habit loop. And um, this that's kind of another podcast for the future about sabotaging a habit loop. But one of the main issues is this. And this is how you create change. And when I when I would talk to the new trainers and I would say, okay, answer this question for me. What is the most valuable thing that you do for your clients? And, and again, a lot of times they'll say, um, give them the best work out of their life. And I think we talked about this in the previous uh, podcast, um, or they'll say that, um, to get, put a, give them a good program. And I'm like, no, it's to create clarity. And, and the issue here is that creating clarity Um, removes the clutter that the person has to navigate while they're under stress. And that's the issue. If I don't, if I'm not doing anything, then I can kick around, Oh, let's see, what can I do for a workout? Should I buy this piece of equipment? What about that thing I saw on the, you know, commercial, my friend has this, it doesn't really matter. But 
if you have all these other um, things that you're doing on a norm, normal basis that you have to be juggling, then it's just added stress to your life to try and figure out what you need to do. So there's a great, um, I read this marketing book. I don't know what, it, I can't even remember what it was, but they were making a point about marketing and clarifying your marketing message. And they use this example, the story of, it was this um, store that sold jams and jellies and preserves, you know, one of those kind of frou-frou places that have like preserved meats and wine and cheese. And what they did is they made a display one weekend, they put it out in front of their store, like these, you know, old school malls with these stores in it. And they realized that when they did that, that their sales went up threefold, like 300%. And, you know, they're thrilled because that's a quite a boost for a weekend. So they thought, well, let's do it again this next weekend. So they did. But the first weekend, they had three jams out there. And this time they're like, well, we'll get a bigger audience because we'll add the mango chutney and we'll also add the blueberry, which are kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum for sweet and savory. And we'll put those out there and um, we'll get even a bigger audience. Well, they did it and they sold more than normal by 15%. So they went from 300% to 15%. And they're like, oh man, that really, that that whole marketing plan really wore off quickly. And so they thought, well, that it only worked for that one short amount of time. But then they went back and they did the same thing they did originally when they just put the three jams out there. And guess what? They had a 300% above normal. And so the principle here, I won't beat around the bush anymore, is that when Someone has no options, like somebody has no idea what to do, then they're not going to take action. They're not going to make a decision. So if I'm like, if I want to, you know, if I want to get in in shape, but I have no idea how to do it, then I'm not going to take action. And that seems reasonable, seems kind of intuitive. But also on the other end of the spectrum, if I have a lot of options, then I'm most likely also not going to make a decision or take action because I'm confused about what the best one is. And, you know, (laughs) the only thing worse than not achieving a goal is going, you know, being inefficient at the process when you could have done it a lot easier. (laughs) Nobody likes that. And it's that the thought that you're doing something and it's not the best possible you could do um, increases the anxiety and the stress of the process. So that's the thing is that as a, as a trainer, what I need to do is create clarity for my client so that we can get through them through this process as quickly as possible. Now in this, another great book, um, it's called good to great. There it's about businesses. Okay. Originally there was, let's see. What was the name of that book? Something, you know what? I can't even remember. Chasing Excellence or something like that. And the, it told about how to be a great company and how to start start a new company. And these are the principles that you need to apply. And all the, the, other, all the companies that were like that. And 
what happened was is that there were people that kept coming back to the authors and saying, well, that's fine and all, but that's if I'm starting from scratch and I can just lay my founda- foundation, you know, having already knowing what the, the correct way to do it. I've already got a foundation laid and now um, I've been running and I'm a mediocre or an okay or a good company, but I want to be great. Is there any hope? Because those principles don't seem to apply to us. And so it started this long research study that went on for several years. And what they wanted to find was, were there any companies that were good and that at some point in their history, they became great? So they studied the like 1,500 um, companies that had publicly um, available information about um, all their finances and that sort of thing. And, and out of the 1,500, they came up with, shoot, I think there were nine there was only nine that met the real intense met- matrix that they had about, you know, price to earnings, um, their stock, their their growth percentage, all this sort of thing. And they said, well, let's, what we want to do is refine what the common denominators are, and then we want to write about it. And so they're looking at what are the features that these companies are display that would explain how they made the transition from a good company into a great company. And they came up with several and, um, you know, I'll probably talk about this book in the future, but the one I want to talk about today is they called something called the hedgehog concept. And the hedgehog concept is, um, comes from the story. It's like a, um, Greek, Greek, um, saying that the Fox knows many things, um, Let's see. Yeah, the fox knows many things and does many things. The hedgehog knows one thing and does one thing really well. And and so what it's saying is, is the fox is, you know, it's a fast animal. It's a very smart animal. It's uh, it's lethal. Like it um, has big teeth, um, and it's uh, it's silent. It's quick, and so it has a lot of options as far as it can, you know, sneak attack or it can speed attack or whatever. And and the hedgehog is really just a plant eater and and it's a kind of a dopey looking animal and it doesn't move very fast and it's um, I don't know that it's any it's very smart but the the problem is is that um, if it can't fight and it can't go fast then it's going to be easy pickings for something like a fox but the one thing that the hedgehog does have is a set of quills that align the top of his head, the neck and and the back. And so whenever the hedgehog is threatened, it just rolls into a ball really quickly and just stays that way until the threat is gone. And so what happens is, is the hedgehog never gets eaten by the fox because what the hedgehog does, it does perfectly. And there's nothing that the fox can do to, to get to the hedgehog. And so they they use that as an as an example for these successful companies that what they what they did is in the process of of just running their business they came ab- about something that they did so well and they could repeatedly do it well that it changed the economic outcome of the business and that what they what they have is they have these three circles that kind of overlap each other and uh they in these three circles dictate three different p- 
aspects of a business to be successful. And what they are is you are wildly passionate about this, about something. So if you want to, if you want to have a great business, you need, it needs to be a business that you're passionate about. And then the next one was, and it needs to have an economic engine. Like you just can't be um, passionate about, you know, orphans in Africa and then have a business that is backed unless you have an economic engine to produce money um, by helping orphans in Africa. That's, that's a difficult, that's a dilemma, right? And so if you say, I love baking and you want to make a business out of baking, well, what's your economic engine going to be? So there's got to be some um, model that you're using that you can make the money. Now, the other one is you need to be it needs to be something you can be the best in the world at. Well, that's where it becomes difficult. And what they're trying to say is that something that you offer is not just a commodity that someone else can hire somebody and reproduce it or, you know, um, make it scalable so they can do it on a bigger level. And then you get boxed out of the industry. There's something about your business where you could be the best in the world. Now this is for business, obviously. You don't need to, in your training or your nutrition, be the best person in the world at at uh, this exercise, let's say. Or you don't need to be passionate about it. It's it's one thing if you are um, it, you go to <laughs> you go to make a life change, and then in order to be successful, you've got to be in the top five percent of everybody that's doing it. Right? That's ridiculous. You just have to be the best you. So um, that's going to be a whole nother podcast about being passionate and doing something great. Um, but the the point here is, is that this hedgehog principle um, is so refined and so clear within these businesses that they can replicate it successfully and flawlessly. And that's the whole point. Because um, when you're working with a client as a trainer, that's the main thing you got to do is you've got to be able to get them to understand the process and then fall into it as quickly as possible. But if you don't have a trainer, you don't have that, you don't have that luxury of having somebody else distilling down the complicated. So you need to make it even more simple and more clear for yourself. So the end of the book, this good to great, it says, the real path to greatness, it turns out, requires simplicity and diligence. It requires clarity, not instant illumination. It demands each of us to focus on what is vital and to eliminate all of the extraneous distractions. And when I read that, I think, yeah, this person knows exactly what greatness takes. If I want to be great at something and to be able to make a life change means I'm doing something great. I'm being who I want to be. Then I need simplicity and diligence. I need clarity. I don't need to have this instant illumination of what the perfect thing is because, you know, it could take, it could take a little time for me to figure out like what I like to do as far as exercise. Well, that's fine. But when you start out, you don't want to make it complicated where you have to exert a lot of energy because you're already taking away something that you may enjoy. That would be coming home and, um, you know, having a smoke and reading the paper or watching TV and eating, you know, a donut. I don't know. 
And so you carry around the cue, the trigger of coming home from work, and then you're denying yourself the reward. And so you're starting to build this ramp up this anxiety. And unless you can come in and sabotage that loop with a new reward, which is a sense of satisfaction from, you know, leaning into your identity or your goal, then you're, you're not going to be successful and you're going to be unsuccessful very rapidly. Okay. So I mean, go ahead and sum this up. Everything that I've talked about, it's pretty easy summary. I, I started the point with successful lifestyle change means discipline, right? Do something consistently and perpetually. But the problem is, is that discipline semantically is probably a bad choice of words because instantly when we talk about discipline, we think about willpower and we think about, I need to try harder. I need to push. I need to really dig in, right? And that's fine if all you have, again, is a short-term goal and you can go back to the way you've been living before and not be stressed about it. But if you want to change for permanent, that's just the wrong way of approaching it. You need to start with clarity so you can get to the other stuff and let the other stuff sink in. Because um, I've already got a habit loop that's working against me and it's got a ticking clock because every time I don't follow through with my habit loop, then my anxiety starts to build. And unless I can replace it with something that's leading me towards my end goal or my what I feel like this is my identity, this is who I am. And every time I do this thing, every time I follow through with this healthy pattern, then I get a sense of satisfaction. Unless I can replace those, then, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a matter of days and definitely no more than a few weeks that you're going to be able to sustain it. Hey, again, this is your host, Matt Perdue, and this is Anchor's Freaks and Dreams. Thanks for listening.